One o'clock on the East Coast, back from Southwest Florida. That's Naples, Florida, not Naples, Italy, uh, Dan and Guy. Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us. Of course, if it's Thursday, Dan, it's Butters. It's Butters. Uh, and let's get right into it because we just got off a plane. Here we are. This is the Jackie Earl Haley moment. If you pull up the rundown, I think some of you folks will know what I mean by that. Uh, bad news is, in fact, bad news. We're going to take a look at Carter Braxton Worth's charts of the S&P, the NASDAQ, and some banks, AMAT, and NVIDIA earnings preview. lot to go through here. How are you, Dan? I'm I know good. how you are because I've we've been, been together yeah. for like 48 hours yeah. straight. It's a little much, right? No. I mean, not at all. So then we're going to, after this, we're going to go up and do the CNBC's no, after this, Fast Money. After this, we're going to talk to Danny Moses. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. And we did then we're going to go to CNBC's Fast Money. All right. So so it's kind of interesting, Guy. Um, we've been going back and forth with like the reasons for the, the, I mean, the violence in the rally in the equity market, right? Since that CPI print. And so it's interesting that, you know, yesterday when we we're doing market call at this very time, we we're talking about, you know, yields were, were up. 10, 10 basis points yeah. in the 10 year, right? But the stock market was actually flat up. Today, we got yields down. Mm -hmm. Okay, nine. So, like, what's going I on don't know. here, man? Like, it, it's yeah, kind of I mean, weird, right? Like, think like, about the, and we're going to talk about crude oil, obviously, but right. yeah, yields are lower. And I think today's yield move is not on any inflation stuff, it's more on economic yeah, weakness, data weakness. And, no, and just yeah. general weakness. So, this so goes to the bad news. Is bad this goes news. to the bad news. I Again, that's just what I. It, that's my interpretation right, so just, just of to it. play it through just if we have some new listeners here so if the economy is weakening if the data is bad then that means yields should go lower mm -hmm. because again the fed is going to you know listen and, and we you know we can look at like expectations for rate cuts they're getting pulled forward dramatically right now right so like i think you know a few weeks ago when we had the 10 year at 5% i think expectations for fed funds cuts were what in the back half of 2024 mm -hmm. and now they're working their way into maybe q1 april may so what is, that's the thing that i struggle with here guy is that like we have equities that you know, kind of like high valuations relative to where yields are relative to what expected growth is. We have high expectations for equities because we have earnings estimates that are up expected to be 10% in the S&P 500 or more, you know, year over year. We have a growing, you know, like situations, um, you know, in geopolitically. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, like when you, and we're going to talk about crude, but when you see crude down the way it is, you know, on, and, on back of the moves, I mean, it's been going lower. And then you have this crescendo yeah. move lower. And, and then you see President Xi, who's in our country, meeting with our president in, in you know, kind of, uh, you know, in, in an okay mood, you know, like ready to talk, ready to dance. Yeah, well, well, that's, all, well yeah. all I'm saying, though, he's worried about the economic data that they have there, the deflationary readings mm -hmm. that they have. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. It just seems a little dicey here to me. But it, you know, you made a comment at Fast Money last week about Tesla. You know, your your, your point was the times that fundamentals matter yeah. for the stock, the four times a year effectively, I mean, I'm just yeah, using the earnings days or days that the stock goes down meaningfully. Yeah. The rest of the time, the stock goes higher. I mean, you can just, we'll look at charts and you can sort of speak to exactly that. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we're seeing here. There's this Pavlovian response yeah. in the marketplace. Yields are lower, stocks go higher. The Fed's got our back. The Fed's going to be cutting. We're not going to wait until early 2024. We're going to get ahead of it now. And I think that's what we're seeing. And this is in the face of, to your point, deteriorating economic environment without question. I mean, Walmart speaks to that. And a lot of retailers have spoken. And it's this it's not just anecdotal. Now, you got it over and over again. However, all the market looks at is this very one-dimensional, 
if rates are going lower, if the Fed's going to move earlier than the market thinks, we are not going to wait around. We're going to get ahead of this and we're going to just going to buy things up. And I think that's what we're saying, which is really one of the dumbest, you know, well, things. you know I, what I mean? Like, I, hold on. Yeah. I agree with that 100 yeah, yeah. percent. And it flies in the face of everything that I thought would happen. So it pisses me off. But if you're long a stock and it goes up 15 percent, the reasons why don't matter. I mean, yep, that's just, yep, I mean, yep, yep. you know, we can get great, we can get all dissected and the reasons do matter, but whether you're longer for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, if it's going higher, you're making money. Right. So that's now with that said, there's a musical chair thing that's going to go on at some point that you have to be aware of. But in the here and now, I don't think people really particularly care. All right. So, 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 so I feel like we've had a, a bunch of different seasons within this earnings season, this Q3 earnings season. So we're on the tail end of S&P 500 earnings. And I'm just looking across the board today. Look at Cisco is down 11%. Yeah. Look at Walmart is down um, nearly 8%. Or, yeah, it's down 8%. Palo Alto Networks, not a small cybersecurity mm -hmm. company, down 6 7%. Um, this is on their earnings, on their guidance. So it's interesting because we started out you know, earnings season with the banks and, and you know, like th those weren't that particularly great, um, to be frank. And then we had a couple tech things that worked. Then we had a bunch of big tech things that didn't Did work, not. right? And so it just feels like there's like no clear um, uh, through way, in, in my opinion, 100%. about what we learned about really Q4 visibility and visibility in 2024. But when I think about the situation that we just talked about with yields, I mean, like that's kind of the point. Oh, look at that one. All right. So Cisco. that's the Cisco there. Right. So that's unbelievable. That. Yeah. But just just I want to just yeah. sort of yeah. put a put a sort of bow on your point. Yeah. That speaks to exactly mm -hmm. what my point is. Like there's no necessary, you know, good news, bad news. The overriding condition seemingly is what the Fed's going to do and what interest Correct. rates are doing. And that's the, that is the knee jerk first level, you know, Pavlovian response that the market is taking in the face of some good reports and some disastrous ones as well. It's almost as if, you know, the individual names don't matter and the commentary around it doesn't necessarily matter. The market's looking at one thing and one thing only. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Well, um, let's bring him in. Carter Braxton Love him. Worth. Of he would have been charting. great down. If, he would have fit right in down there in, in, in Naples. Florida. He spent a lot of time in Naples, Florida. Really has been there. A lot of work trips to Naples. <laughs> yep. How, how you doing, Carter? I mean, okay. was, how about you guys? Sounds like everything's fine. Yep. All yeah, everything's fine. Help us yeah. make some sense of this because, again, you know, um, you, I think about a week and a half ago on Market Call, we were we were charting the ten-year U.S. Treasury yield to just come off that kind of five percent zone. This was after that November first meeting, that auction that went awry, mm -hmm. and we had that you know pretty dramatic drop in yields, right? And then we had you know what happened last week, right, with this CPI. Um, so talk to us a little bit if if we have a market on the ten-year, it's four at five. Is that fair to say like like that's kind of where we're going to be stuck until there is some like uh, like another pivotal like kind of event here um how should equities trade they're at the midpoint of this range now that they've been in yeah. and, and stocks are I at mean, the high end of the range look i i think you have a very one side the three big things if you can say that would be obviously the 10-year yield the price of a, a barrel of oil in the u.s dollar and they all were streaking higher i think oil was 80, 90 barrel, and people started, you know, higher for longer narrative on the street about rates, and oil's going to go to 110. Oil's collapsed. It's gone from, it literally has done almost $30 a barrel. The dollar is now breaking, and yields all not happening, not going higher for longer, the opposite. 
The final thing ultimately that breaks, in my view, is the equity market. Everyone says, no, 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 you're not getting it right. If those things are breaking, oil and rates and dollar, then our, our, the stock market goes higher. There is no, there is no book. Uh, I, I got all the books in, in my library. There's no, there's no class. There's no uh, guarantee that that's how it works. What we know is that recency is a big thing. And when oil was at $65 a barrel in May, and rates were at three and a half, recession, hard landing. All of a sudden, rates go to five, oil goes to 95, up higher for longer, no recession, no landing. Now, all of a sudden, oil's collapsing in. Listen, you stay away from all that. When something's stretched and everyone's in, like Walmart, yeah. you go the other way, right? Uh, this yeah. is it. Now, what do we know? Oil has broken. The dollar is breaking, and rates are in the process of breaking. And ultimately, does that mean stocks go lower? I think it means they go lower. But uh, yeah. it can, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. And so I, I guess I'm going to I'm going to kick it to Guy for a second here, because, again, I agree with what you just said. But, Guy, if you're just one of these folks that that just doesn't want to over index to all the things that they can't quantify mm -hmm. in geopolitical land. And if you say to yourself, OK, so S&P ex earnings expectations for 2024, let's say call them up 11 percent. If oil coming in, if rates coming in and the dollar coming in should be good for S&P earnings, then I'm going to stick it out until I get some confirmation that we are actually going to have something worse than a soft landing in the economy. Input costs, to your point, are yeah. lower. But the, the, the flip side of that coin is they're also going to have things lower, and that's going to be theoretically demand is going to be lower as well. So you almost by definition, you can't have one without the other. I mean, there's a reason why all those things are going lower. It's because weakness is, in, is permeating through the system, which at some point should affect demand. So my point is those two things will cancel each other out. And then the question is, earnings expectations too high. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I've seen as high as 14% expected EPS growth. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a pipe dream in this environment, I think. But again, market doesn't seem to be focused on that at all. It's focused on, to Carter's point, one thing, until it's not. Until Carter's, you know, what he's been saying for the last nine months sort of comes to fruition. At a certain point, you're going to see rates going lower, which he's been correct. And then the stock market, you know, wh what that level of rates lower is, I don't know. But what he's been talking about is happening right before our eyes. Well, if you're one of these seasonality monkeys, the higher we run into year end is the harder we fall next year. I'm pretty certain on that. All right, Carter, let's look at the yeah, S&P. Well, actually, one course. thing on that, I, and I was just looking at a, a note from June 30, which is important. So uh, and we can revisit it right here now about seasonality. Yep. It, it's if you look at the first half, the best first halves on record. So the top 12 this this year was in the top 12. It was the 12th. As of June 30, the S&P was up 15.9 percent. Right. Now, that's not the biggest. You know, the first half of 1987 to June 30, uh, we know what happened in 87. Of course, the market is up 25. But consider the fact that this year it's the top 12 first half year performance. Do you know what the performance is in the second half? If you look at the median and mean of the other 11, the mean performance is up 1.8% and the median is down 1.9. You know where we are right now, as of June 30 to where we are right now, the S&P is up 1%. We're right on schedule. Talk about seasonality or said differently, when you stuff yourself at the dining table, yes, in the first half, you don't have room for more eating in the second half. Let's go to the S&P chart, and then we go to your Michael Strahan chart in terms of this trend, this downtrend line that we've been looking at forever. 
obviously has been broken. You know, we, well, we, I thought when we breached the moving average to the downside, yeah, you might see, you know, a, a backup to that moving average, a check back, as you would say, and then we'd fail. Obviously that hasn't happened, but what it's created is a series of now unfilled gaps to the downside. So just have that visual in mind, folks, and we can come back to it as Carter will say, toggle back. And now let's look at the sort of the chart, the graph that Carter's brought with us to talk about all the unfilled gaps in the market right now. All right. So here's a table first. We'll do the table and then, then a chart. And so there are, um, there was one unfilled gap above, um, but we filled it. Um, and so that's out of the way. Uh, now take a look at, um, oh no, I'm sorry. We haven't filled it. Strike that. Here's the, here's the chart. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the sequencing or the schematic is very simple. If you see a blue horizontal line that used to be a dotted red line, an unfilled gap that then has been filled. And so we have, let's go back to the table and then we'll go back to the chart. We have, we do have one above, um, uh, one plus percent above. And then we have all these gaps below uh, to fill the lowermost would be a 12%. So if we go back to the chart then, and, and one says, do those have to be filled? Not at all. But the notion, at least as I see it, that somehow we're on our way to big new highs and those unfilled gaps just from the last, what about the one just from yesterday? Mm -hmm. uh, that those won't be filled. That is literally pie in the sky. So you've done this obviously for a long time. I look at this, I see what the calendar says. Thanksgiving is next week. If we could put that chart back up, I mean, I can say, Given what Dan just talked about in seasonality, which, by the way, I don't adhere to either. I just want to be clear. But there are participants that believe in the absence of news as we get to this point in the year. Markets tend to levitate. So I look at this and say there's a reasonable chance that that last unfilled gap to the upside is filled in the upcoming weeks. And then you have a series of ones to the downside, which at some point will start to cascade into, you know, coming to fruition being filled is that again i know you can't predict these things but do you look yeah, at i mean right i mean of course no the, you know what you said it was could it be nvidia let's say nvidia has really big number and it does mm -hmm. what it has done in the past which is prints up 22 percent, something just epic could uh that be the catalyst to get us up to the 45 67 level and fill that gap yes and then there would be zero none unfilled down gaps in the history of the S&P. But there would be, of course, uh, these now six, seven unfilled up gaps from uh, March and April and then more recently in the S&P. Um, you know, that would be one could say, look, I don't want to be short here. But if and as we were to fill that 45, 60, then I want to be large short. That would be pretty good technique. Yeah. Hey, Carter, real quickly, because I know you have the same um you have the same table for the NDX and NASDAQ 100, and we don't have to go through it, but I mean, a lot of the gaps are corresponding on different days. It's just the NDX, they're just bigger moves, right? And there's more to the downside to fill them, almost 30%. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, talk to us like where, where, as a trading vehicle right now, okay? So we have the NDX that's up, you know, 44%, the, the, the S&P. It's so it's up, it's up more than, you know, 
two times, right? That of the S&P 500. Where do you want to lean into? Okay, so if we talk about these top 10 names, they make up 30% of the S&P, but they make up 50% of the NASDAQ 100 mm-hmm. here. What, what, what do you think is a better trading vehicle for some who want to play the major indices? Maybe because they think, you know, we're going to go back to the highs by year end because it's just a monkey trade or, or maybe they just want to start fading this recent strength, which has gone up, you know, 10 plus percent. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm agnostic, whether it's SPY or QQQ, but maybe to your point, I had an inquiry from a, a large institutional PM growth manager, about 18 yep. billion uh, in his, um, his control one fund. And he was asked about semis and uh, if we put the chart back of the NASDAQ 100 uh, there, what I wanted to point out is I just responded that isn't the semi trade right now just a beta trade? So uh, this is what I said. The S&P from its July 27 high to its October 27 low, w- which is the same sequence here as seen on the NASDAQ 100, dropped 10.9, but the SOX dropped 18. And then in this 13-day ricochet, since the lows, Guess what? S&P's up 10, 10 and a quarter. SOX is up 18.6. SOX is just beta, right? I mean, it's the exact same peak, the exact same trough, and the exact same ricochet. So maybe the, the answer to your question is if one is, if one is uh, predisposed to think that we are going to give a lot of this back and that some or many of those gaps will be filled, then I would just play the higher beta thing. I guess I would short um, QQQ or semis rather than yeah. SPY. Yeah, no, that makes sense. We appreciate that. All right, let's look at regional banks. This is one that I think is really interesting, the KRE, okay, the ETF that tracks them. And if we just pull up the, the your first chart without any lines or, or anything in there, when you look at this move, I, I really want to get to like why this kind of caught your eye. There are two big up days, right? In the last mm-hmm. two months or in the last two weeks, excuse me. Okay. Th- those two days. And, and so talk to us about the significance of the, th- those were big volume days. They came on big days where yields were lower, right? Like mm-hmm. if you think about that, why is this catching your eye? Because without those two days, this indice, this ETF looks like garbage. Right? And that, that granted, yeah, sure. and, and, and so, like it's going to go back to those prior lows, right? Right. The, the interesting thing is that those, he- so it's a heavy volume up thrust with a gap. Yep. You get the flagging, right? That down move for about seven sessions. Then another heavy volume up thrust with a gap. A, gr- a granted volume not depicted here. But of course, there's heavy volume. And anyone who wants to pull it up on their screen now can see carry. So it gaps up on heavy volume, pulls back on light, then gaps up again on heavy volume. Now, for that to be happening, and it's happening while it was almost back to the prior lows, but then that happens. That starts to set those May lows as good lows. Mm-hmm. And so you have the plunge of March with the whole regional bank uh, you know, debacle, and then you make the new low in May. But to have this sort of aggressive uh, price volume correlation uh, recently happening above the May low, I think that sets the May low as the low. Um, but let's put some lines in and then uh, let's, okay, take them away, put them back. Now that's a minor formation, right? That's a minor formation. So it has minor implications, but let's put in the trend line. And now let's put the formation in. So take the formation away and leave the trend line. We overshoot the trend line. We check back to it, to the penny and we bounce off it. And we put our little minor head and shoulders bottom in there again. That starts to mean something. It's the word developmental comes to mind. It's nascent, it's young, uh, but I think it's important. Let's add some more lines. Let's um, 
converging trend lines, a move above it. Let's put them all together. Now, uh, how about the moving average? Let's try it with 150 day. It's starting to flatten. Mm. Let's uh, put the moving average in the minor formation. Let's put them all together. And here we have it. So look, it's a judgment, but it's, it's, it's enough, I think. And then the final chart to really say why. It's enough to suggest, and this is really the kicker. This is a ratio chart. This is regional banks as measured by the KRE ETF to the BKX. So it's that broad swath of small and mid-cap banks relative performance to JP Morgan, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Bank America, et cetera. And that is just a prototypical bearish to bullish reversals. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the note that went out to clients, uh, I guess, uh, two days ago was, look, buy, uh, buy regional banks here as a relative trade if you want to be particularly careful or cautious or outright um, for those who just want to be long. Let's go back to the just the chart itself and take a look, because given your work, it suggests we probably can get back to the July high. So if we look at just the chart of the KRE, you can sort of visually see it there. The July highs would be sort of the second point on the downtrend line. So that makes sense. But my question to you is, is a lot of this predicated on obviously the move in yields and then subsequent strength, a continued move lower in yields, in your opinion? I suppose that would you would have a concomitant, right? That's the word, a concomitant um, move uh, a lower in yields, uh, higher in you know uh, KRE. Um, but I, I think it is important. Uh, if you look at KRE's relative performance to IWM, it's another way to do it. That ratio chart is mm -hmm. fantastic. So specifically, this area of small caps relative both comparable large cap financials, but also relative to small caps in general, relative performance IWM. You know, it's interesting. It got me looking. I saw the note a couple of days ago and I was looking at the kind of um, options uh, in the KRE, just like if I just wanted to kind of define my risk. And, you know, implied volatility in the KRE has come down pretty dramatically over the last month and a half or so since since that kind of pattern that you're noticing, like it looks like it's kind of bottoming out technically, Carter, which is kind of interesting. So implied volatility has been coming in. It's come in for about 40 down to 30, while the actual, like the, the realized vol, how much it has been moving um, is still fairly elevated, leaving me to believe that that options look price kind of cheap, especially if you have conviction from a directional standpoint. I was looking at January expiration, January 19th um, options. And, you know, with the ETF at 44, like 40 or so, um, the January 44 calls costs about 240. Okay. So that's about 5%. Now you could say, well, that's a lot for an at the money call looking out, um, you know, a little more than two months or so. Um, but if this thing were to actually have a sort of sharp move, like you suggest, you know, um, th that's probably a decent way to play it, especially how much this ETF and some of the individual names um, have been moving around. So I just wanted to take a look um, at that kind of quickly. Carter, we wanted to also catch you. So we appreciate the work on the regional banks here. Um, couple names. You just mentioned Walmart. And this is one where, you know, Guy and I were on the plane this morning mm -hmm. and we were kind of on the way back from Florida. Um, this was not a huge surprise to us. And and you were on Fast Money and we were, we were talking about it earlier in the week. Just, it seemed like all of the positive sentiment in the retail space has been centered around Walmart for a good many months now, okay? And as so many numbers, and you were on talking about it, I think, was it Monday or Tuesday? Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. you, and you, you rattled off, you had a question, someone asked you a question, and you rattled off a whole handful of, 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 of 
brand name retailers are trading at 52 week lows, despite the fact, you know what I mean? So um, what do you make of this Walmart? And guy, I'd love to get your take on the consumer after that. But what do you make on the plunge? And what do you expect to happen from here in the next week or two? Yeah, I mean, I look, I mean, a steady orderly uptrend, to be fair, uh, but you could just look, my only comment on on set was, look, it just feels so unquestioned. Mm -hmm. So like, hey, what could possibly go wrong? Costco's acting better. And this is the but it's still I mean, this has nothing to do with charts. It's still Walmart It's trading at a P of 30. They sell garden hoses and towels and cat litter. I, I mean, look it's still a, a, a leveraged operating business and people don't have to go into the store. It is not a, a, a steady consumer state. When you say, no, that's not true. It's got groceries. Yeah. Okay. So if it were really steady, why in the hell is it dropping like a, a cheap uh, small cap stock? Because it was overpriced, overowned, or some other uh, variation of the two. Uh, either way, now what to do more importantly, yeah, you could be, I mean, I guess from my seat, I sell a lot of uh, naked options. People don't like to do that, but there's a lot of fear now. So I'd sell the, you could sell the 150s for January. They'd probably get a buck. I don't know. We could look those up right now. I'm just guessing. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll keep it all. And, 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 okay. So Walmart gets put to you at 149. That's not so bad. What are the January 150s? Uh, the January, give me Jam 150 puts I'm getting a look at it. And is he, so I'll sort of opine here for a second, just since Dan's question to me was, you know, what is this, what does it say about the consumer? You look at the quarter, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have quarter was fine. I mean, they beat on EPS, they beat on revenue comps were better. Excuse me. If you want to knock a hole in something, operating margins came in slightly light at 3.9%. The street was at 4%. Inventories were down 1.1% year over year against 5.2% sales growth year over year. So that augurs well. So it's nothing, it wasn't devastating by any stretch. What was though, Dan, was the commentary about what they saw going forward, which was not unlike what the Target CEO has yeah. said about the consumer going forward. It's obviously extraordinarily cautious. They are seeing things. Now, what we have said for a while, and Carter echoed this earlier in the week, Walmart really needed to be extraordinary in order for this trajectory to continue. And I think to a certain extent, that target quarter probably hurt Walmart yeah. because it obviously the stock rallied in kind. And then there was a bar set for Walmart to exceed. Neither of those things happened. But in terms of the what it speaks to, it speaks to a consumer that probably is a bit stretched and probably is going to be challenged in the months to well, come. Yeah, I thought what stuck out to me were those headlines specifically about, you know, like this is a company that when they started raising the red flag about, um, you know, inventories and about some of the consumer changes that they had seen, this was last year, it was lights out, you know what I mean, at that point in early 2022. So um, again, I, I think tracking what they have to say about the consumer is probably more important than let's say the reaction that Great. we saw in a target or a Macy's this week, because, you know, it's interesting Carter. And I know we talked about Macy's early in the week and you think it goes lower here. It had this really no, sharp. Not, not today, but Hey, look, I don't think, look what it's doing. It's barely no, I up. It, well, After I was that say, great up. gap up. The yep. stock's up 50 cents. I mean, I think you saw no, no, So Let's pull up the day chart. I wanted to pull it. I thought this was yeah. my point. Carter was that, 
obviously the technicals were weak. The sentiment was really bad, but it rallied in sympathy with a couple other really oversold names like targets. Mm-hmm. So they can pull up the Macy's, let's say the day chart. So it had that gap and it's barely up right now. And mm-hmm. now it's, this is probably, uh, this is, this is a great press right here, guy. I, well, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Macy's opened at 14 and a quarter. Yeah. It's trading 13 and a quarter. Now do a three day if they could do a stock is down a dollar. Now you'd be like a on a $14 item. That's a huge move on 42 million shares of volume already Carter in a stock that typically trades about 11. So you're already at four times normal volume. When you see a move of this magnitude that sticks out like a sore fricking thumb. And if this stock were to close unchanged on the day, by the way, that's not out of the realm of possibility. That to your point, Carter, that's no, not very price action at it's, all. It's very poor price action intraday slippage like that, um, and euphoria like that that can't stick often is almost like a bell being rung. You're like, all right, there's nothing yeah. left. Well, let's see if it fills in today's gap, and then it probably is a good yeah. press. Let's go back to the Walmart chart for a second. You asked about the Jan 150 puts. Okay, so the stock right now is at 156. Okay, so I so those are offered I'm at guessing a dollar. Well, are they're dollar seventy five. Okay, oh, nice. so so you got yeah. So so here's. Here's what I would say. If you wanted to press the Walmart, okay, and you thought it could go back towards those lows from, you know, just a couple months ago and maybe back towards like 140 or something, the 155, 140, uh, 145 put spread. So $10 wide, mm-hmm. one down, $1 out of the money. You could buy the 155 put at like 320 and you could sell the 145 put at about a dollar. So that's, that's, you're getting more, you know, that's less than a quarter of the width of the $10 wide with a break mm-hmm. even that's down of, you know, two and a half percent. So that, that looks dollar cheap to me having all of that time between now and January expiration. Um, why were, were you thinking about selling some puts to the downside you mm-hmm. think that's a, a better trade there if so you were, maybe no, i mean look, yeah, that's it's really not my area. i do almost everything naked like for instance in, in i would sell the 150s you're saying you're taking a buck 70 for those for january yeah. and i also sell the 165 calls i'll bet you those are going for three bucks and you're good then unless uh, walmart's less than 145 mm-hmm. uh I, I mean i'd strangle it here after a shocking drop in gap you have a well, reset. We, you know, for, for a programming note, we 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 never detail naked <laughs> naked stuff on the program. That's why I said it's my thing. People, no, I know, I know. But go for it. The last but thing, for instance, for fun, what are the one sixty fives for January call? I'm guessing two and a half, no, three bucks. No, 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 they're not. Well, we gotta we gotta oh. get, we gotta get an options chain up in but front of you. But what you could here. do, you know, <laughs> if you're inclined to that type of leverage, you could do a one by two. Yeah, against long, against long. I mean, listen. But, I mean, there are a lot of things. Anyway, I yeah, understand what yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But like, uh, you know, what? Listen, you know, you and I did options action together for a very long time, and um, you know, one of the things we've had we we had a lot of interaction with a lot of retail traders, investors, you know, who love the idea of using options. They love the idea of learning about them and and, and putting them as another tool in their toolbox. Um, you know, it's one thing to sell calls against your long stock. It's one thing to put one by twos on against long or short stock. It's another, thing to, be naked, it's another thing to short a naked call or short a naked put. And it just takes one instance where something goes wrong and it changes your... Um, so here, what may just as a matter of technique, and this is not just me pitching selling naked, so let's say one didn't want to sell the naked puts because that's dangerous. To be yeah. World War Nine breaks out, but selling the naked calls. One of the risks of selling naked calls is it gets acquired. So I'm here to state 
Walmart, Walmart is never going Walmart to will never be acquired. So this is out. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Now we got that off the table, and Walmart will not be putting up an uh, an FDA approval for an Alzheimer's drug it just invented. So that's out of, of the table. Yeah. So once you drop in gap like that, right, your upside is fairly limited. Selling a naked call um, is certainly much safer than selling a naked put. I like doing both because you get the premium on both sides. But either way, move yeah. On. But don't don't do it in ten billion dollar software companies. Don't do it in one no. billion dollar companies. That, right. that, that, that's what we're saying, and, and that is actually a really um, great point. Okay, let's hit one other thing before we let you go. Um, Tesla. Um, I got an email from Worth Charting. I think it was on uh, Monday afternoon, and it said uh, you had a bunch of charts. Two forty-two. Yeah, you said uh, Tesla's going to fill in chart, the gap. Yeah. To one two, chart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, was it only one chart? Okay. Mm -hmm. To two forty-two. Um, it got there. It, it even got a little uh, above there. Um, we just put together a, a couple little charts here. Um, so, are you out of that? It filled in the earnings gap. And now it's contending with its 150 day. There was a gap to the upside from last week or so. What are you doing with this one? And do you yeah, like yeah, I mean, channel? I think this is a perfect example of do nothing. Like there's, there was just a moment in time where we could, uh, at least that was the judgment play for a gap fill. Um, you know, it, it dropped on, I think it was, uh, it was the 19th of October. Musk came out and said, you know, if rates stay high, EV demand will be crimped. Stock drops from 240 to 220. And then just three days ago, we were approaching the gap. It looked like we could, Fill it quickly. Okay. A trade in and out, 7, 8%. That's it. Here it is. It's a pair of twos. Like what, what in the heck about this moment, this pattern right here says buy it. Nothing that I see. How about short it? Why? It's just in the middle of the tennis court. It, it's, it's The problem with playing in the middle of the tennis court, the balls hit you in the knees. You have to play from the net or you have to play from the baseline. I would just not play here. Yeah. I would just say that, to, so so going back to a point that Guy made, I mean, the fundamentals of this company are not getting better, okay? And let me tell you something. The lower crude oil goes, the less interesting buying expensive EVs that are in a massively deflationary death spiral, like for pricing, you know what I mean? And I just want to pull up this five-year chart. Um, our good friend, Doug Cass, um, we've been going back and forth, it feels like for months, highlighting not just short-term head and shoulders tops. This is the mother of all, in my opinion. And you could say, I'm just juicing it up and I'm drawing them up and this and that or whatever. But man, oh man, if that goes back to the January 2023 lows at 100 bucks okay and you look i mean like people forget this stock in december of last year went from 200 to 100 in five weeks guy okay so like it could happen again if the sentiment just were to turn and it feels like it is turning before we let carter go you know it's interesting that depending on how you're looking if you're looking at the screen the shoulder on the right or if you're the actual human being your left shoulder if you were just to move that to the left on the screen, you actually see what happened when you put in a head and shoulders because yeah. that huge move to the downside that we saw at 100 bucks sort of basically right. galvanized that first head and shoulders. Now we're drawing it again saying, you know what? Maybe another shoulder has appeared. Maybe we're going to see a similar type of thing. So, so it's a bit fugazi. No, that's but not what we, I'm saying, I, we Carter. But that, you we look at that, that and you, you see, yeah. yeah, we did. That's yeah, exactly we, we right. We did draw. We last did draw that, Carter. Guy, tell, tell me how bad am I at charting, please? No, no, no. So that first right shoulder. In fact, you, you could find that on Worth Charting right on the site. Is it rallies towards 300 in July? And October is like you got to crush this, right? Okay. Um, 
now it's a two shoulder, who right shoulder, like a weird camel, right? Some camels have two humps, four humps, you know, who knows what they got. But the point is, yeah, it's a difficult level. The stock goes from 100 to 300, falters, it doesn't quite get even as high as the July high. And now, but here and now, right now, right? Um, there's no real trade. Yes, looking at the very long-term view, you said, well, but I have a three-year view. The head and shoulders is intact. But that's okay. That's just a three-year view. Those are good, and then they're not good, and then they are good. Here and now, buy, sell, hold, it literally, by my work, is a pair of twos. Discernible opportunity up or down. Fair enough. Um, The technicals, it's like uh, a pair of twos. I think the fundamentals are getting worse. That's just my two cents. Fundamentals might say a 2-7 offsuit, Carter. You're a card player, so you know. (laughs) Yeah. All right, CBW, thanks so much for spending some time with us today and our viewers and our listeners. That's Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. You guys know where to find his fine work there. Thanks, Carter. We appreciate it. There he is. Look at him. Old-fashioned technical analysis. Nothing slick, just charts. Yeah. All right. We got a couple really important things to do here, Guy, before we get out of here. We obviously have butters. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that in a second here. Um, you know, The other one that really stuck out um, overnight was Cisco. And, and to see a company like this, this is a $55 billion revenue company that has exposure um, to a lot of different parts, wh- whether it be government, whether it be telcos, whether it be telecom. Yeah, I mean, like our tech, tech and, and then geographically also, right? Mm-hmm. And you see a gap that we had from three months ago when they reported, and that stock had just come off of like multi-year highs. Um, it had been basically trending lower over the last few months, and, and even you know in this period where um, you know in the last couple of weeks it's really underperformed too. So to have this sort of gap in crap here through the moving averages back towards those fifty-two week lows, I mean this is not a, a good-looking technical setup. But fundamentally, I mean this is a cheap company there's yeah. a cheap stock here and so when the cheap stuff the big cheap stuff's not working either doesn't it kind of get your antennas up about some of the other Hunter, stuff and you know it's interesting because if you just took a snapshot of the earnings mm-hmm. eps beat dollar 11 beat by eight cents yep. um revenue was i think a little bit better margins beat by about 150 basis points operating margins over 200 basis points i mean all those are really good things and then they talked about and then guidance yeah and that's when people said again, you know, okay, great. You did a great job looking forward. Not so much. And yep. to your point about valuations, sometimes these low valuations are actually become a bit of a trap because you can say that if this guidance is, you know, if they're going to come in with this guidance, this stock, which was cheap, actually got more expensive on the move lower, which is somewhat counterintuitive. So you could say, and I'm sure there are people out there that can do the math. Even with the move lower, Cisco might be more expensive on valuation now than it was 24 hours ago. And it's completely counterintuitive. But if you think about the visibility that they have, they're telling you a bit of a story here. And if you look at all the analysts, Needham lowered their price target. Piper Sandler lowered to 50 bucks. KeyBank, I think, lowered their price. I'm just going through it. Yep. JMP Securities, I think they lowered their price target. I'm not sure. So what they are taking some solace in is some AI opportunities. I mean, okay, you know, that's everybody. But obviously they didn't love the guys. So, so if they can pull up a chart uh, from going back to like 2000 in Cisco, there's a really fascinating thing that happened because I remember like it was yesterday, 
in November of 2007, the S&P, the NASDAQ, everything was rocking and mm-hmm. rolling, okay? And Cisco came out. The stock was trading at a 52-week high, but it was also trading at a seven-year high. It was trading at a level that it had not seen since the year 2000 was careening lower on its way to being down 80%. Trading 32 bucks, I yeah. think. The, lo- the highest level it had seen, I think, in a decade. And, and, you know, the stock closed. Okay, I remember that day. Am I right, yeah. by the way? Yeah, I think yeah. I'm right. Closed oh, really well. Um, so if we can just cap it off at like December 2007, and maybe you can kind of show a little bit of that move. So they reported and they guided um, lower, and that was it, man. That was it for the Nasdaq. That was the top, okay, the S&P 500. So, um, well, y- yes, and it's I a know different you, company, and, exactly, it's got different that's implications. That's exactly, right. well, but let's, but let's, your point is well taken. That was the it, bellwether. That was one of the three most important companies yeah. at that period of time, and that. So now if you want to start to play that forward, what's the reporting next week that has become sort oh, of... Oh, it's NVIDIA. So we'll see. But I think your point is extraordinarily well And it's, you know what's crazy about NVIDIA? It's got five and a half times the market cap of Cisco right now. And they have basically similar, similar revenues. Like So so it's a $1.2 trillion market cap versus Cisco now that's you know nearly two. And then again, it's gained. It's gained NVIDIA right there. Since it bounced off that moving it's average, gained two, it's gained a... Look at that. It's gained a Cisco. How about that? All right. Well, we're going to spend on, a, on, on we're going to spend a lot more time um, on that next yeah. week. Um, so, Amat reports after the close. I'll talk real quick about Amat. Four percent. I mean, the stocks I think is up fifty five percent or something this year. Yeah. Um, but let's just talk talk about the stock valuation. It probably trades. I don't know twenty times ish yeah, or so. Market, it's mar- not market multiple ish. Yeah. The problem, of course, is. The bounce we've seen over the last couple of weeks in the name, actually longer than that, the last couple of months in the name has been pretty interesting, like a lot of other these names. The other problem is we're getting towards levels we last saw, I want to say, in January of 2022. So basically, what all these things sort yeah. of topped out. That's going to be problem. If we have a longer term chart, Dan... I think we can see well, exactly here's the thing, what to I'm To your point about, about valuation, so it trades at 20 times versus the S&P at 18 and change, okay? It's expected to have, so this is their their fourth, uh, this is the fourth quarter, their mm-hmm. fiscal fourth quarter they're going to report tonight. Um, next year, expected revenue growth. There's is basically the chart, by the way. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, that's constructive, except that it, well, it might be setting up for, you know, a massive double top which here. Which we've seen in a lot of things recently. So, and, you know, all these tops were made it's not coincidental. November of 21, December yep. of 21, January of 22. I mean, it's all right there for you to see. So, so fiscal fiscal 2024 um, earnings and sales expected to be basically flat up 1%. Um, this is, you know, a company, a 46% gross margin company. So they make, you know, equipment that makes chips, right? And so mm-hmm. we got some decent readings about CapEx over the last few weeks. So we heard from Global Foundries. We heard from Taiwan Semi. We, you know, AMAT has obviously been taking some share. Some of their competitors have actually not traded well in the semi-equipment space over the last couple of weeks uh, with some of the earnings they gave. Um, but again, this is not like a really a great growth story. You're not expected to have meaningful you know, earnings growth again until fiscal 2025. So I just say this is one where unless you are convicted of a, like a big beaten raise, um, it's a it's a no touch for me. It's a commentary story. It's let's hear what they have to say. Let's see yeah. if they reinforce to, to your point what you heard from Taiwan Semi, what you heard from Global Foundries, what the market is saying about NVIDIA. Obviously, the reaction of it, you start to connect all these dots and does AMAT reinforce it? Yep. 
or do they punch a hole in it? We're going to know in a couple hours. All right, last thing here. So we get a preview of John Butters. Butters. He is a senior earnings insight analyst uh, over there at FactSet. He drops his earnings insight blog on Friday mornings, and, and we get a preview here on Thursday's Market Call. Guy, we are literally at the tag ends of S&P 500 earnings for Q3 earnings season. And Butters took a look at the uses of the term inflation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So inflation has been cited on the Q3 2023 earnings calls of 270 S&P 500 companies. That's surprising. I, I kind of, wouldn't you have expected More. it to be higher? Okay. Yeah. The number is above the five-year average of 224 and above the 10-year average 173. However, Q3 2023 marks the fifth straight quarter that this number has declined over peaking uh, after peaking in Q2 of 2022. Now, what happened in Q2 2022? CPI was at what? I Nine believe ish. it was 9.1%, if I'm not mistaken. So at the sector level, the materials, 89%, and consumer staples, 86% sectors have the highest percentage of companies citing inflation. So um, talk to me why it's interesting that materials and consumer staples are the highest percentage of the companies. Well, mentions. I mean, materials makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, you think about what they are, what they hinge upon. I mean, their whole, their whole reason for being is, you know, it, what does inflation yep. mean for demand? Yep. Those types of things. Consumer staples, though, is really what it comes down to, because those are the companies that, at a certain point, inflation is start to impact their margins. Right? Yep. They'll be able to pass on, pass on, pass on the cost until they're not. Then you have this inflection point, and we've seen it with a number of companies since the summer, where they were doing great. And then they stopped, their margins started to flatten out and decrease because they could no longer pass on the cost yep. and they fell off a cliff. What I find interesting to your point, I would have thought it'd been more as well. I'm just curious, and I don't know the answer to this. Obviously, inflation is the word they sort of tested for, but I'm wondering if companies used code, yeah. not code, but talked about inflation in other ways. Not that that matters at all, but Maybe that's well, sort of an explanation. Right, so this was my takeaway reading this report. Um, and I thought, again, I expected it to be higher. On the way up, when inflation was going up and the stock market was going down in 2022, so off of the highs that we saw, the, the mentions of it in 2022, mm -hmm. it was easy for uh, you know executives to point to inflation that is out of their control. And they could talk about what they were trying to do from a cost standpoint or passing through, you know what I mean, like price increases and the like. But the flip side of it, I would have thought right now that we would continue to hear them. Maybe there's some opportunities to take a victory lap, how they manage their businesses right. and that sort of thing. So well, to me, that, no, I know. Yeah. But, and so I just think that's kind of surprising because if we look around and we say to ourselves that 3.2% CPI and you know and this is one thing i know a lot of people are all over the administration and, and they're political about it. they're talking about you know how much inflation is decreased it's off of it's not because it really no, no, is the I, rate of exactly yeah, i mean yes, that, no, it's, I know, it's, I know, it's so it's mind upsetting to I, know, me. I know i know but but my point is like inflation at 3.2% above the long-term average or their target of 2% is still very high. So that's the point. Of it's it. a, again, yes. And I know, you know, this, I know somewhat you said it, this is sort of agitated a little, me bit. A little bit, but <laughs> little it's bit. fine. I mean, listen, it's not just this administration. They all no, do. The I, same it, thing. It's, so politics. It's, it's politics. politics. It's politics. And it's listen, you know what, if it works for, if it works for the narrative, good for them. But the reality is it's just inflation is the inflation is going up. It's just going yeah. up less fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, well, that's but not so, meant so, to be nuanced. So, so I mean, that's my just other, the math of it. So my other takeaway is that companies 
these are really having a hard time dealing even yeah, with it. like so, so the point is maybe they're just trying not to talk about it because it's maybe you know it's reflective what? in their lack of visibility and the like here so all right i promise you this is the last thing because this chart is amazing let's pull up intel and you see the stock is up six percent it's blowing out guy huge volume mm-hmm. day okay new 52 week highs here and we just wanted to use a five-year chart because that breakdown level that we saw that's about current levels here, $43, that breakdown came in mid-2022. And when it broke 43, and it broke that support that had been in place in 19 and 20, it went all the way down to like 24 bucks or something like that. So here we are, we're back at this big technical level, still a reasonable valuation. Mm -hmm. Still, some folks think that maybe Intel is finally, from an execution standpoint, gotten their act together. You and I are not chasing this name by no. any means here, and it could probably set up as a pretty decent, like, like trading short. My, if you've opinion. been first, and I know you know this as well. The reason to own Intel for the last couple of years has been on valuation, and that didn't work out all that well because yeah. the stock basically was upper left, lower right. I think to a certain extent, what's happened here maybe is seemingly they've stopped the bleed in terms of some of their data center, yeah. data center, yeah. in terms of the deterioration we've seen in the business. So. The market is saying, okay, that's over. We can start to wrap our head around this a little bit. I also think to a certain extent that Intel is sort of like a homeland security play, if you think yep. about it. The weaponization globally of chips and how Intel for the United States could find themselves in the catbird seat going forward as they build out these plants, which take forever to build. In this world, they could find themselves in a really great position. So I think there's a a series of investors that are trying to get in front of that, I think. Yeah, that's, well, my, that's say, my two cents. So I'll say one last thing. So next year, uh, revenue growth is supposed to be about four or 14%. Um, but you're ready for this? Earnings growth is expected to double. It's supposed to be up 100% to $1.87. That's mm-hmm. consensus per fact set. But here's the deal. In 2021, it was their peak earnings year. Probably, hold on a second. It probably it was three something. What you're, was your light? Five and a half wow. bucks. Okay, so I'm, so what I'm saying is, you That's know what unbelievable. I mean. So 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 just just when you think about what happened to this yeah. company and and the and the trends and, and the misexecution and this and that, whatever. So it could prove to be a really cheap stock, right? If they are on their way back towards five dollars in earnings, but the jury is still out on that one. I would expect this thing to back and fill a little bit. I just wanted to kind of throw that one up there because that chart that we have on a five-year basis doesn't really show what's gone on here just over the last couple of weeks, but we thought it was interesting to bring it up. All right, that's it, guy. Fun show. Yeah. A busy week for us. Thank Carter for joining us on Thursday. Yeah. Typically, we have EY from SoFi. We're going to have to double her up like one week on the market call. I'll be with know? her on Monday. Yeah, you will. On the, on the tape podcast. On the, on the that tape will pod, drop. Which drops on Monday. Yep. Go to your favorite podcast store. It's either Apple or Spotify because tomorrow, yeah. our on the tape podcast, we'll have a conversation with Terry Duffy. We're in Florida, as I mentioned. That was great. That was a good conversation. I think great. folks will enjoy that. A lot, a lot that. of stuff there. Hey, the other thing is um, we want to get your feedback. You guys have always been great with the feedback. We have um, we have these little, little videos, these little sizzles. that were, yeah, yeah, little things that we're putting on the TikTok. On the TikTok. So follow us on TikTok. I think we're risk social media. It's, it's what do they call when things go viral? Oh, they go viral. Yes. So let, let's make some of these videos go viral. We're also on the Instagram. Um, Guy yeah. has an account. Oh, look at that. Guy Adami yeah. on the Instagram. Sure. I'm Dan's Nathan, Dan S. Nathan. And then we have the risk social media account that I think our social media manager looks like that. Um, we probably that, should get rid of that because you don't like it. Well, no, I don't. 
But I also think there's a chance that we get what do they call it? No, we you get can put anybody docs. You can put anyone's face I'm up. Sure, there. he's not happy. I got kicked off that. of Twitter for putting Elon's face on. on no, but on my you know, thing. I don't think you know. Well, they can I, kick us off of Facebook. I don't, my fine. sense is Zuck and I probably wouldn't get along that well. You know what? You think you probably call him Junior? You would definitely you would walk up junior. to him and say, "What's up, Junior?" Absolutely, that's what guy does. Um, yeah. So follow us on the socials. We have some new social media marketing techniques we're trying out here. Techniques. We got we got, we got a crack team on it. Um, and and we want to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think and share those videos. They're fun. Thanks for joining us, folks. I want to thank FactSet. I want to thank SoFi. Get your money right all on one application. All in one Carter Gra- Braxton Worth, the great Mister Butters, just Butters to you. We'll be back on Monday. See you later, peeps. Yeah.